Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, I thought because we are doing an opening here tonight, and uh, I got to tell you, if ever I need to go to another church, I'll turn up here and, and, uh, and let Jürgen and Leanne be my pastors, and I'll just hang out in the second row and serve and try and be the volunteer of the week. Amen. <laughs> if only I could get that. My God, that would be awesome. <clears throat> I want to read to you out of uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 here. And our service producer, I said, when do you want the microphone back? She says, anytime you like. So we're, we're good for a few hours here this evening. <laughs> Settle in, people. Amen. No, I promise, Pastor Phil Muncy, I will not take longer than 33 minutes. Amen. I'm so glad to have this man here. He's a hero of mine, an absolute hero in the faith. No doubt about it. And uh, he ha he, him and I have a similar thing because he lives just down the road from Saddleback Church and he's had to live with, you know, a larger church in town. I live in the same city as Hillsong and, you know, it drives me mad. And, you know, like <laughs> I just die every time somebody mentions I've done, been, lived with that for 25 years. But I'm kind of a secure guy. I really don't care. I'm quite happy about what we're doing and where we're going. But you, you got to know what living with that sort of thing does. You got to understand this. Somebody's always got something bigger. If you play the who's got the bigger one game. What are you laughing at? You're a bunch of rascals here. You know that? My God. That just, that, just, that just did not land right. I told these guys, you know, I preach sometimes like seven times. This is only my what, fourth time. By the seventh time, I am saying things that are ludicrous. I, can, I don't even know what I'm saying. But you, you need to understand that, like, I used, to, I, I used to own yachts. I don't own them now, you know, bikes and, and things. But, and you're out there sailing, and you think you're going all right. Then there's always somebody with a bigger one, and with a faster one, and you see them go past. And, oh, I really wish I had one of those, and you're never kind of happy. But one day you realize, hey, I'm out on the water. It's awesome out here. This is beautiful. I'm not going to let somebody else mess with my day by me getting all kind of competitive or disrupted. And so I'm going to be happy. And I made a choice a long time ago. I'm a happy man. I'm happy with my life. I love my life. Everybody say that. I love my life. I love my church. I love my pastors. I love my church. I love the Bible. I love God. I love living in San Diego. I love being part of C3. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering, would you? Amen. All right. Come on. I'm, I'm so going to enjoy preaching this message because this is right core for me. Okay, Jeremiah 1 verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, okay, every one of us need a then moment. Jeremiah had been living as a son of a priest in a religious environment for many, many years, but he had never had an encounter that revealed his destiny. But then it happened. Then the word of the Lord came to me. You got to understand you can live in church. 
and be in all kinds of environments for a long time. But that's why we would hold a conference like Presence so people can have a then moment. They can have a God moment. And you got your plans. You might be wanting to buy a truck. You might be wanting to build a business of selling shoes or importing cars or doing stuff. But you get in a God moment and you discover destiny. And it may be something entirely different. I can guarantee you it's bigger than you think, though. It'll be bigger than anything you've ever dreamed of. And so then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb. Number one, God forms you. Nothing else forms you in the womb. And before he formed you, he knew you. Now I'm just going to drop a couple of fathoms down and go quite deep right now. So just, just keep t- turned on. I need to do this earlier in the message before you get a little weary and you sort of drifting on your emails and doing a few Twitters and stuff. Before you get to that, I want you to just consider for a moment a thing called isness, or you-ness, or I am theirness. It's something the evolutionists cannot explain to you that you are here. Who is you? I know I'm not you. You know you're not me. I'm me. Here I am. And I can say I am. I have been created. I once was not. But now I'm here. I'm experiencing things. These lights, I feel them. I can hear my voice. I can see the ocean when I'm down at the beach. I feel the sun. It's me feeling it. It's not somebody else. And I know I'm here. It's got self-conscious awareness. I am aware that I am. A donkey doesn't have that. A goose doesn't have that. A sheep doesn't have that. But a human has it because God has breathed into us I amness. And you have unique I amness. You are not a reincarnation. It's not like another life is now living in you. This is your life. This is my life. Get out of here. I've got this life. This isn't somebody else's life that I'm living in. I wasn't living somebody else's life in some vague Zen mental gymnastic place in the past. This is reality. I'm here. And so are you. And we're here right now with divine destiny. God knew you before you got here. He thought of you. He's sitting in heaven, and love cannot be love unless it gives of itself. Unless it gives what it has to another. God has I amness. He cannot be love if he holds it to himself. So he thinks of Jürgen Matesius. He thinks of Phil Muncy. He thinks of Leanne Matesius. He thinks of Becky Crook. Heinrichs, that's right. He thinks of all of you beautiful people in here. And every time he thought of you, he smiled. He laughed. The heavens jumped for joy. Orchestras played. Angels sang. God roared with laughter and pleasure when he thought of you. He thought, oh, I haven't got one of those. But I want one of those. I'm going to make one of those. And now here you are. You've arrived. You're on earth. You came out of nothing. You didn't exist once. 
but you have been created, not just your body, but your soul, your self-aware, self-conscious self. And that person does not have a shelf life. That person does not have a use-by date. It is created in the eternal image of God. You will last forever. Where is your decision? You have got an eternal spirit in you that was breathed into you, and God knows you. And before you were born, and before He formed you in the womb, He ordained you. He had a purpose for you. You didn't turn up and God go, oops. He's not the God of oops. He didn't go, whoa. Yagmatess. Didn't see that one coming. What are we going to do with this guy? Oh, if you're, you, people got an idea, a plan or something. Never. Each one of you meticulously have a blueprint plan for your life that God has designed. <laughs> the only way you discover that blueprint is by discovering Him. Do not say, I can't meet God yet. I don't even know myself. You will never know yourself until you know Him. It's only in His light that we see light. Once you understand through that encounter that you are formed by God for His pleasure and that you have got a gifting in your life, oh, it's called your sweet spot. You've got a sweet spot. On every golf club face, there's about a hundred sour spots. There's only one little sweet spot. When I play golf, the professional says to me, after I've hit the ball, he says, you're standing too close to the ball after you've hit it. <laughs> I kind of grub my way around a golf course. It's not a sweet spot at all for me. You got to know what your sweet spot is and what your sweet spot is not. I have found that my life is more about the to-not-do list than about the to-do list. When I first became a pastor, there were all kinds of expectations on me, in my own head mostly, about what a pastor is meant to be. He's meant to visit people in hospital. He's meant to counsel people. He's meant to bring a sermon. He's meant to sit in committee meetings. He's meant to do this and that. All these things were in my head. But the first time a person came to me for counsel, I felt the whole anointing that I had go. Everything left me. My shoulders slumped. All the energy went out of me. This woman started talking, and I felt like I had no answers. I didn't know what to do. And I was so tired. She'd been speaking for two minutes, and I was worn out. So I put my hands in my head as though I was deeply concerned, but I went to sleep. <laughs> the weird thing was, is when I woke up, she was still talking. <laughs> it kills me. I am not a counselor. Do not come to me for counsel. You will be worse at the end of the session. 
I have no empathy bone in my body. I feel for some things, but I got to make decisions. And I can't be worried about all the little feelings of people all the time. I'm sending people into war. I'm sending couples like this to cities I've never been to, San Diego. I got to say, oh, what's going to happen with their children? Oh, what's going to happen? Go! My counselors go to bed before half past 10, you know, so it's just very therapeutic, very deep, you know. But if you're going to excuse your bad behavior by things that have happened to you in your past, you're never going to rise up into victory. It's like saying, oh, Jesus, what you did on the cross is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we need a little more than that. We need some medication and a little bit of therapy over here to try and really fix things up. I'm telling you, you were crucified with Christ. You tell me, okay, I've got anger issues, though. Anger's a work of the flesh. We've all got anger issues. I'm so angry you wouldn't believe how angry I am. But my anger's been crucified on the cross. The answer is simple. Instead of putting all the solutions with an exotic few over here with exclusive knowledge and highly educated, you know, it's just wrapping up the, the, the ministry in a little bundle over here for a select group of people are going to answer the problems for everybody else. It's not, that's not how it is. You are a minister of the Spirit, everybody in this room. You can bring Christ, who is the hope of the world, into every life throughout this generation. It is so simple. Receive Jesus, new life comes into your world. Hospital visitation. Oh, Lord. Hospital visitation. Pastors are meant to go to the hospital. Pastor, can you come? Our baby's about to die. Oh, you know, we just want you to be here with us. And oh, it's a terrible situation. I drive over, I just run up the stairs. Now, you know, I'm not good with blood and medical things. I was talking to a nurse in New Zealand. We had our New Zealand conference recently. 800 pastors and wives in this thing just two weeks ago. And, and, and this, one of the pastors' wife tells me she's a nurse. She says, oh, it's so wonderful when you're in surgery to hold the lungs of a patient there and feel them breathing. I go, oh, 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 it's just, I don't cope. Oh, I go a week, you know. Even when a woman comes, she says, I'm pregnant. I go, oh, all over, you know. So I get a shiver. I go, I don't, I don't cope with all that stuff. Somebody says, I got a little problem up here in my mouth. And they show me, you know, some abscess. I go, ah, I'm not, I'm not good with that. So I run up this thing, and there's this poor little baby, this couple of men that's had terrible problems. And it's, they've only been kept alive by a machine. And they're going to take the machinery off. Oh, God, it's just a terrible. But I walk in, and, and the room is like dark, and it's the intensive care room. And there's little babies in these little, you know, incubators around the room, and there's dooting, 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 and all these sounds going like this. And I walk in, and, the, and there's not a lot, a lot of air in there. And I start seeing those little dots, you know, in front of your eyes when you're going to faint. And you think, all those little stars go boom, boom, boom. I thought, no, good God, I'm going to faint. And I said, hi, everybody, hi. And I can hardly see them. It's like a snowstorm now. I go like, uh, 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 uh. I thought, I'll reach out. I'll just lean on this bench and let the faint pass. And I won't be able to talk. And I'll just stare at them. And then 
I'll be fine. And I lean out to put my hand on the bench, but it's not a bench, it's a trolley. And the trolley starts going like this. I go right out through the swing doors, bang, bang, out into the hallway, go bang. I'm lying on the ground, and the nurse's knees are in my face, and can you hear Pastor Phil? And I can hear her, I can see her, but I can't talk. I go, uh, uh, uh. I'm trying to do something. Not a sweet spot. You don't want me visiting you in hospital. I know what I'm meant to do. I went to India to be a missionary at one stage. People said, it'll break your heart, the six-week tour of India preaching. I hated it so much. I didn't like the people. I didn't like... I thought, am I a Christian? My God, I just... This is awful. This is so awful. I come back through Sydney, Australia, and I see these guys mullet, you know, like hair hanging out here, pushing a shopping trolley, arguing with his wife, and I start weeping. God, I love these people. And I knew where I was called. The to-not-do list becomes more important than the to-do list because everybody will try and get you to do stuff that's got nothing to do with what he ordained you for before you were born. In Jesus' name. It takes a lot of courage to not do some things. It takes more courage to say no than to say yes and try and be a people pleaser. The secret to misery in life is trying to keep everybody happy. You got to stop trying to keep everybody happy and say, look, I just can't do that. This person can do it. They're much better at it. When people come to me and ask me to heal the sick, I, you know, I can do it every now and then and, you know, pray for them and it happens. But Andrew Cabal is far better. Why do I want to be the hero? Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, clergyman. It's like we think we're everything. We think we're meant to be the Superman, the superhero for the whole world. But you're not. You got one thing to do. And that's what Jeremiah was told. Before you were born, I wired you up. I hardwired you to like things, to not like things. To feel a pull in a direction and to not go in that direction. Once you yield to God in heaven, you can get in your groove. You can find the, hot, the sweet spot for your life. Once you've found that sweet spot, it's called the unforced rhythms of grace. Matthew eleven twenty nine, where, Come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy laden under all these religious expectations. And I'll learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace, the effortless way of life, so that every day you turn up for work, you just play. I don't work a day in my life. I play every day. I do what I love, and I love what I do. And it's an awesome thing. Find your sweet spot. Now, hear me, hear me clear. Eric Liddell, in that great movie, Chariots of Fire, was a runner, and I was going to get, you know, some media about that, but anyway, don't worry, just watch the movie sometime, and he's running, and he wouldn't run on Sundays, because that was his conviction about his serving God, but he said, because he, they thought he should be a missionary, but he said, you know what, 
when, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. I don't feel that there, but and his testimony as a stand for Christ in the Olympics and in the race courses of the world had deep impact in so many hearts and so many lives. Do not think that the only way to access your sweet spot in serving God is by standing on a pulpit and being a preacher. That's about 1% of Christianity. Some of you are going to be called to be nurses. It won't be me, but it might be you. Because you love feeling lungs breathing in your hands. Some of you love getting people into houses. It's just the joy of your life. It's such a sweet spot. And you make more money than any other real estate agent. And they wonder, how do you do that? Because you're playing all day. You love doing it. Showing people houses. And you're so thrilled when they get that house of their dreams. And you see the smile on their face. You were formed to be a real estate agent. To be a singer. To be a chiropractor. To be a dentist. To be an aesthetologist. To be an educator. To be a teacher. Every person in this room has a sweet spot that God has given you. And it's the call of God on your life. It's a holy calling. It's a sacred calling. Don't be thinking you're a second-rate Christian because you're not standing on a pulpit. You're a first-rate believer. You're a first-rate Christian being who you are, living out your sweet spot. Find your flavor and live for God. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on. God is on the throne. Woo! You may be seated. So many people got to get set free from thinking they're doing second-class Christianity simply because they sit in pews on Sunday. My God, you are the first-rate people in the whole world. We're here to serve you, equip you, and empower you, and release you into the call that God's got in your life. I got movie actors in our church. I got Olympic athletes in our church. We have people, and we tell them, you stay exactly where you are. A lot of times they think, do you think I should give up what I'm doing so I could be in the ministry? I'm saying, you are in the ministry. You are in the marketplace. You are exactly where God formed you to be. You are a perfect human being in your place. So don't you let anybody downgrade you from that awesome calling that God has put in your heart. Because you're saying, I don't really want to be in the ministry. I want to go make money. Go make it. Go make millions. And give it to the house of God. Amen. Build the church. Help the people around you. Help them pay off their mortgages. Because that's something I can't do. i got too many haters. Too many cameras looking at me. That's the deal. Others can do it. What are the Warren Buffets, the Bill Gates of the world doing with all that money? Believers should have it in their hands. The silver and the gold of the earth is mine, says the Lord. Partner in ministry business people and workers with the house of God. Build the church. Every one of us involved can make it happen in Jesus' name. All right. I'm only about a quarter of the way through this message. This is troubling me because there's like nine minutes on the clock. Then he said, Jeremiah responded, Ah, 
Lord God, I can't speak. I'm just a youth. You will find God will call you when it's inconvenient. God will call you when, he's, when it's inadequate. And when you don't feel like you can do what you're called to do. That's part of the call of God. He often won't call you to do what you can do. He'll call you to do what you can't do. Because then you'll be relying upon Him to actually execute it. To make it happen. Moses, deliver this people. Just speak. I can't speak God. Often people thought they couldn't speak. This guy says, I can't speak because I'm too young. That was his excuse. God, I'm too young. Nervousness got the better of him. God, I couldn't own a hotel chain. I'm too poor. God, I couldn't be a, a real estate salesperson. I'm not confident enough. You will feel inadequacies about the things that God calls you to. But it's not a sign that you're not called. It's more of a sign that you are called. I paint paintings. I paint about 150 a year, but I'm colorblind. That's the truth. I can't tell the difference between red and green, blue and purple. I have to read the labels. When I'm doing a live painting, I have to ask my assistant, what color is this? I'm inadequate in an area that touches thousands of people all the time. I know people all over the world who have deep inadequacies in certain areas, and that's the area where they are an expert in, where they're brilliant at it. Don't be giving God no excuses about why you can't do what He's asked you to do, why you can't be great in this life. Don't you be saying, I'm too married. Don't you be saying, I'm too poor, I'm too rich. Don't be saying, I'm too old. You are not too old. Smith Wigglesworth got going when he was 65, had revival for 15 years. Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel ceiling when he was 95. Please, on his back, eight hours a day. Mama Moses, woman, great painter, she started when she was about 70. Age is nothing to God. Availability is what it's all about. So don't be giving him excuses. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth. God came back. Don't, don't you be saying, I am a youth. Isn't it awesome? When you don't believe in yourself, but God does. How awesome is it when you don't believe in you, but God believes in you? Don't you be saying, I'm not a youth. For you shall go down to all of my sand. Whatever I command you shall speak. Don't be fearful of their faces. I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. I believe in you, Jeremiah. You're just a young man. You're just a young guy sitting in church every week. And you had a then moment and you felt like I was born for something. You knew me before I was born. I'm alive. I'm here. I've got this magnificent life. The curtains are drawn. I'm on the stage. It's not a rehearsal. This is the real thing. I can't waste a day. But now I'm feeling like, God, am I up for the job? And he said, yes, you are. Of course you are. I'm with you. You don't have to rely just on your own strength. My Holy Ghost will be on the inside of you. And you'll find a power that's beyond this world carrying you to the fulfillment of your purpose. Okay, i got to get to two more things. Then the Lord put out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, I put my words in your mouth. That's the secret to being a creative miracle in this world. Getting God's word in your mouth. When you put his words in your mouth, 
You are as effective as God himself would be on earth and speaking that word. As long as you're speaking your own language, your own negative words, you're going to find yourself not achieving the same kind of things that God wants you to achieve. But once you get his word in your mouth and you start believing that, You'll speak to the mountains and they'll move. You'll stop the storms. You'll bind the demons. You'll heal the sick. You'll work the miracles. You'll raise the dead. Speak over your whole world with God's word in your mouth and let him touch your mouth with his word. Then he says, see. See. Before it was here. Now it's see. What do you see in your future? You know, many years ago, when my daughter was having her second child, our other grandchild, well, our second grandchild, we have three now, but we went to the medical center, and they put the, the jelly on her belly, then the machine, ultrasound, and up on the screen comes a little baby, like this. If I came to you now, put the ultrasound on your spirit, what comes up on the screen? What do you got inside of you? What have you given birth to on the inside of you? Would there be nothing up there? Or would there be an ugly future? Would there be death by cancer or divorce or whatever these things that you're looking at and thinking this is going to happen? You need to start changing the inside there. When you pray, believe you receive it. When you pray, what do you see happening in your future? If I could open up your mind and have a look at the movie screen in there, what do you dream about happening up there? I see a thousand churches all around the world. I see congregations like this. In Lausanne, there's a congregation with Thierry and, and, uh, and uh, uh, oh, it's too, too late in the day to remember every name. You know, and Terry and, and his wife, Marianne, and uh, in their French-speaking Switzerland gorgeous church the most avant-garde church we've got in the whole world. I'm just saying that for a bit of competition here. And uh, <laughs> unbelievable. The house is packed out. All these French-speaking Swiss people. Yes, Jesus, we love you. God, we praise your name. You both the feel, yeah, we come to you. <laughs> the after parties are always good, you know, but... Uh, and then you go to Germany and there's, there's Hilger, Holger, and, you know, Manfred. We baptized these guys in 1982 in DY. Moved out of our church and then years later we find they've started a church and they joined C3. I go to, what's his name again? Manfred. Manfred. Hello, Manfred. Hello. What the field? Come in. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm coming. Sit. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome couple months I'm in Bulgaria, Sofia. We got this awesome church in the middle of Bulgaria. We've come out of communism. The place is on fire. Revival. It is astonishing all around Europe. There's like our fastest growing area in the world is Africa. Churches, every day it seems like I hear about new churches being planted or being birthed or whatever. And I'm telling you, we're living in such powerful times. I want to see America ablaze with the power of God all over this nation. There's never been 
a, a greater moment in our history, in our personal history, for this great nation to rise. And I said it last night, stop moaning or thinking about the $16 trillion as though it's the end of the world. I'm telling you, it's easily overcome by the power of God and by the Holy Spirit. He can bring answers and solutions so that you march into the future. Instead of us bringing judgment and condemnation, negativity, the church is meant to be the hope of the world. We've got good news for America. We've got good news for this nation. We've got good news for California. We've got good news for New York. We've got good news for San Francisco. We've got good news for the government. We're the church. Amen. Let's not bring that negative nonsense into the house of God. Leave it out there with the religious crowd. Amen. In closing, see, I have set you this day over the nations and the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. This word, friends, is not just a general message. This is a word specifically for this church. You have been called to build and to plant. We opened one church here, but we'll be doing that another hundred times. All of us in this room have been called to be part of an army that roots out, pulls down demonic strongholds, and builds and plants churches all over this nation. It was the call on a youthful Jeremiah, and it's the call on a youthful San Diego C3 church. Without any doubt in my mind, it's the call of God. Just as the musicians come, I got one last thing to say because he takes Jeremiah into a further thing in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? He takes him deeper into the vision. It's like inception, a dream within a dream within a dream. Jeremiah, what do you see? He said, I see the branch of an almond tree. What? Root out, pull down nations. Before you were born in eternity, I knew you, I thought. What do you see? A branch of an almond tree. What are you talking about? An almond tree blossoms one month before every other tree in the entire field. What he was saying, it's going to happen quicker than you thought. It's going to happen before you even imagine. This thing that's happening here is going to gather momentum. Literally what God is saying, I'm putting my foot on the accelerator. We're speeding things up, people. He's talking to earth and he's saying, what do you see? He didn't say, I see some dreary old apple tree that just blossoms at the normal time. He's saying, no, no, no. I see a C3 church blossoming, accelerating, growing quicker than it has ever had before. I see things coming to pass before we thought they'd come to pass. I see finance coming in when I didn't think it would be there. I see thousands and thousands of people getting saved. I thought it was a long way off in the future, but it's happening right now. It's coming to pass in this hour, right here, right now, in this time. 
the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing is coming on this church to release a quicker anointing that will speed everything up. God is putting His foot on the accelerator of your destiny. I will hasten my word to perform it. It's literally what that means. And I know now that some of you are looking for miracles in your life. I want you to put your hands in the air if that's you. If you're looking for healings, if you're looking for families to be restored, you're looking for finances to be fixed, you're looking for something to happen in your life that needs a miracle, you're in an atmosphere where I know there's at least 100 miracles in this room that will travel from the stage into your life as you're standing here with your arms open, your heart open, and your spirit ready to receive. Heavenly Father here tonight, great river of God, pour down miracles into these lives. In Jesus' name, I pronounce victory and I declare defeat to the devil and abundance coming into your heart, into your soul. I want everybody in the room to pray for 30 seconds right now. Lift your voice. Don't be quiet. Speak it out. Say, I receive tonight the power of the great miracle of God. Right to the back row. Turn this meeting into a prayer meeting for just one minute right now. Take a hold of God. Take a hold of the Holy Spirit. Take a hold of that miracle in your heart and in your life. Jesus, fill every heart, every life here tonight with the immense power of your Spirit upon them. Lord, we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name.